This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program. Presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth 2, Stealth 2 Plus, and Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods. Designed with more carbon for more forgiveness. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Uh, good morning, Canada. Welcome inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully here in studio. Both Bob and Mark are making their way to Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. It is the second men's major of the season. We're going to have full coverage of that throughout the week here on TSN 1050. Of course, on TSN television, Mark, Bob, Graham, Dillette going to be a part of our Sports Center coverage as well throughout the week. But before we get to anything golf-related, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs lose in overtime on Friday evening to the Florida Panthers in five games. So the Panthers are on their way to the Eastern Conference Final. As for the Maple Leafs, their season is finished. Now, the Maple Leafs are speaking with the media as we speak, the players. General Manager Kyle Dubas will be speaking at some point today. When he does, we will bring that to you live right here on TSN 1050. Now, let's bring in Mark Zacchino to the show. And Mark, I know you have some leaf takes. People on Twitter are asking for it. But my question to you, my friend, you said last week you weren't even going to watch the Maple Leafs. Did you watch Game 5? I watched, uh, begrudgingly watched, Adam. And uh, I got to tell you, well, first off, is now a good time to announce that I'll be taking uh, the role behind the bench. For next year, that that's breaking news. Yeah, I I will be the new coach. Uh, I mean, and they don't want this anger coming through there. This uh, this uh, Tasmanian devil ripping through the back of the bench, whipping these guys into shape, Adam. But first off, we'd get them on the stack system right away, so they're all swinging <laughs> a little harder and a little faster. <laughs> so, listen, at the end of the day, that was a horrible call. It was a goal. Uh, the refereeing in the, in, in the entire playoffs, not just in the Leaf series, has been a, a disaster. And if you can't get it right through video replay, then what's the point of video replay? But, and here's my but, we should not, we being the Toronto Maple Leafs, should not be relying on a call in overtime to keep your season alive against a team that finished 19 points behind you when you've got a gazillion dollars up, for, up front in four guys, your season shouldn't come down to that. Your season, in my opinion, Scully, should be in a position in that series where you can take a bad call, where you can take a bad bounce, a bad hop, and recuperate from it. The fact that you put yourselves in that position where you can't survive the zebras going blind again or, you know, just something not going your way, uh, that's the real problem here. What, what's your take on it? Well, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how something has to be done to the core and that very well might be the case or maybe you trade one of the core four if you can for a defenseman. But when the Maple Leafs score two goals in each of their final six games i don't know if goal scoring i don't know if defense is the issue mark and obviously 
there were some notable uh, D-men who clearly had some issues in their own zone, and I don't think they'll be back next season, some of them being unrestricted free agents. I'm really curious where they go from here. There's a bunch of salary cap implications. What do you do with Matt Murray? Joseph Wall clearly showed that he has a ton of potential. You know me, Mark, the goalie and me. Uh, watching Joseph Wall last season, he looked behind the play the entire time he was playing. He steps in this time around. He was in control. He was on the balls of his feet. His hands were in front of him. He was controlling the play. He looked like a totally different guy, and I expect him to carry a lot of the load next season. Do you sign Samsonov again? There's so many things for this Maple Leafs team to do. I'm genuinely curious what Kyle Dubas has to say later. Apparently, as well, Brendan Shanahan going to be speaking to the media at some point in the near future. Not today but uh, unfortunately for the Maple Leafs not their year the Oilers lose last night too so another year where Lord Stanley not coming back to Canada and much to uh, not a popular belief but many people have reached out to me because on Instagram I posted a photo touching the Stanley Cup mark a couple of weeks ago so people are actually blaming this on me what do you think about that wow that is hilarious. Uh, no, let's blame it on the gazillion dollars that scored, what was it, like two goals this series from our core four, yep, something like right. that? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm with you. Do I think this defense is, you know, world-class? Is this the defense that Chicago had when they ran off their Stanley Cup uh, dynasty? Uh, no, of course it's not. But. Uh, Morgan Riley played like a number one defenseman. I, so the narrative of we don't have a true number one, that's gone. That narrative's gone because he played like a number one. Luke Shen played like a guy that nobody wanted to mess with, that played like he still got a lot left in the tank. Um, after that, is there a ton on D? No, but I'm with you. <laughs> if you think that's the biggest problem... After you're throwing a titanic amount of dough, and I use the word titanic for a reason because this ship sunk, and they could come up with two goals, give me a break. And by the way, Skulls, when we get into the narrative of, well, you know, Boston just pushed us around. Columbus just pushed us around. Tampa, at times over the years, just pushed us around. Hold on a second. This team is supposed to be built for a series that's fast, that has room to skate, that's back and forth, where you, you know, could potentially win a game 5-3, 6-4, etc. So what's the narrative now when you lose to a team that, in a series, in my opinion, was, is kind of a series you're built for? I get when we can't – listen, I see the perimeter game that a lot of the snowflake snowflakes on this team that are paid too much play so i get it when we lost against boston a few years back etc how do you lose it this team is built for this type of series so when you're paying the money that we're paying and you can't win in a series built the way you're supposed to be built you know i don't know maybe it's time to completely uh take it like carlo just asked the question to ak in first up are you prepared are you prepared to miss the playoffs? Are you prepared to go in the wrong direction again? Or do you want to get in the playoffs with the floor again and hope that you can get past the hump with a tweak here or there? I don't know. I, I'm not interested in more President's Trophies runs. And I'm not so sure this team has the, the guts and what it takes and the inside to get it 
done collectively, I'm fine. I'm fine to take a step back. I don't know where you are, but I am totally fine to take several steps back. I'm more concerned with if we're going to make that decision as a franchise to go several steps back, do we have the leadership in place from the top down? Are those the guys that should be making those decisions? That, that to me, is a much bigger question. Well, I'll put a bow on this Maple Leafs conversation, putting it in a different way. In June of 2018, the Toronto Raptors made a huge trade. DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard totally changed the makeup of that team. What happened the next year? A championship. The Maple Leafs need to make a deal like that to shake up the roster, a star for a star, and see what happens next okay mark we are a golf show we went eight minutes on the maple leaf so i think it's time for us to move on we'll have more maple leafs talk uh throughout the day here on tsn 1050 again when kyle dubas does speak with the media we will carry it live right here on tsn 1050 let's get to golf let's get to some news and some headlines news and headlines are brought to you by sandbagger hard seltzer sandbagger everybody knows one Okay, Mark, on a happier note, Jason Day gets a win on the PGA Tour first time in 1,835 days. Now, you and I were all over Jason Day throughout the year on TSN Edge. I think I've picked him four different times. Did we have him last week? No, we didn't. Unfortunately not. Of course we didn't. But Jay Day gets it done. How significant is this victory for Jason Day? Well, I think this is the feel-good far uh, on the PGA Tour. He's one of the most liked guys out there. Uh, you know, he lost his mom just over a year ago. She lost her battle with cancer. Uh, he's gone through severe back issues, had to completely rebuild the swing. Uh, to the naked eye, doesn't look a lot different than the swing that won, you know, at Whistling Straits against Jordan Spieth in a major and won five times that year and got to number one in the world. But... There's a, there's a difference at the top that was built really to relieve a lot of pressure off the lower back. Finally, this year felt comfortable. You know, I, when I got back from Palm Springs at the American Express Championship, I, I remember you and I having a conversation on the air and that, you know, Jason spoke to me after his Friday 63 in, in Palm Springs, but that this is the first time in five years that he feels healthy enough to with the back but parking the vertigo aside that's a whole other story healthy enough with the back that he was able to put in the practice time able to really trust the swing changes and put in the work that he's needed to instead of protecting his lower back and kind of being you know half in half out um we've all been expecting this like you said you picked them like four times i've had him two or three times i think we both had him last week at quail hollow there's a I think we've lost Mark's connection here momentarily. Uh, Mark is driving to the PGA Championship right now uh, as we speak. What I think we're going to do, I think we're going to do a little reset here. I think on the other side, we're going to pick up the conversation here with Jason Day, how he is back in the winner's circle. I want to talk to Mark, too, about Scotty Scheffler because he had another 
call it interesting week at the Byron Nelson. A home game for him, but those putting stats seem to be a, a little askewed as well. On the other side, we're going to pick up that conversation with Jason Day, Scotty Scheffler, and what about Jordan Spieth? Is he even going to play this week? We'll discuss that and much more with Mark next. This this is segment Talk of GTC was presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Stealth 2, Stealth 2 Plus, and Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods. Design with more carbon for more forgiveness. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to find affordable, qualified caddies to any round. Visit caddytime.com. Download the app or talk to your PGA professional today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully here in studio. Mark Zucchino on the phone. Bob Weeks joining us in hour two. This is our first PGA Championship preview show of the week. It is the second men's major of the season. Now, Mark, picking up our conversation before we went to break. Jason Day gets it done on the PGA Tour. His first victory in over eight. 1,800 days. Now, seven top tens on the season, including that W yesterday. Where do you stand now on Jason Day as we look into this week's PGA Championship? Well, obviously, you know, you and I have been pointing towards this victory all year, just expecting it to come. And it was we, we kind of felt if he could remain healthy, it was a matter of when, not if. I do think it's going to be very hard for him to go back to back. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of emotion spent on this one, Skulls, uh, considering it's Mother's Day. Uh, this is the first time, you know, some of his kids are going to be old enough to remember him winning 2018, you know, it was quite a long time ago at the Wells Fargo. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, Jason Day, when Jason Day is playing well, which he obviously is right now, uh, you know, he's proven as a former number one in the world and a major winner that he could get it done anywhere. But I think I think there's going to be that emotional uh, exhale this week. It'll be interesting to see what he has left in the tank come Thursday against what's going to be one of the best fields of the year. And now as we look to some other players, of course, our Wednesday GTC radio will be mainly focused on the TSN Edge fantasy perspective, looking at some of the fan duel odds. And right now, the co-betting favorites are Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm at plus 750. Now, Scotty Scheffler finished tied for fifth last week at the Byron Nelson, but he was 51st in the field in strokes gained putting. Now, Mark, you had Scheffler on your edge team last week, as did Bob, and you spoke very, you spoke a lot about his putting. Given from what you saw from Scheffler at the Byron Nelson heading into the PGA Championship, are you more under par about Scheffler than you were last week, or where are you at right now with Scotty Scheffler? I'm still way under par on Scotty Scheffler. He almost won that golf tournament uh, putting with a blindfold. Adam, it was horrific. Uh, you mentioned 51st. I'm surprised it was that good, to be honest with you. There were putts, especially earlier in the week. Uh, you know, we're talking five, six, seven footers, and he just gave large buckets of strokes away to the field. That this, this honestly should have been his golf tournament. And I know we have an interview with Andrew Green, which we uh, might be coming up today or this week on yep. TV or Wednesday on radio. And 
and I'm going to get a good look at the golf course today and tomorrow. But my gut tells me from what I've heard and what I think I know right now, uh, this is all going to be about strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained tee to green. You are not going to out-putt your championship here. Um, you're not going to be able to scramble your way to victory around Oak Hill. I mean, you're going to have to be on point, tee to green with your ball striking, and that is a full stop at the end of that sentence. And right now, if you take a look, whether it's uh, Shot Lake, PJTour.com, Data Golf, it doesn't matter what scenario, what combination of what formula you put in the machine. It spits out John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler so far above everybody else right now, tee to green, that I don't know how you don't make them the betting favorites, and I don't know how you don't think that they are going to have a significant opportunity to win this uh, golf championship come, come Sunday. If John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler are anywhere past 0.000 to the positive side of strokes game putting, just whatever fraction they are above that, uh, they are going to have a chance to win the golf tournament comes up. Okay, so you mentioned strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained tee to green. I'm going to mention another name to you, Rory McIlroy. Fourth strokes gained tee to green, seventh strokes gained off the tee, Mentally, right now, we're not sure where Rory McIlroy is at in terms of how exhausted he is. His past three stroke play events, his best finish is a tie for 47th. Where are you at right now with Rory McIlroy? I, I, I just can't put him in the conversation. I think a lot of those stats that, you're, that we're quoting are trending in the other direction. Strokes gained off the tee at... Wells Fargo, a course that he typically dominates, he was horrible. Hitting the golf ball out of bounds in places where I didn't even know there was white stakes at uh, Quail Hollow. Um, unlike Scotty Scheffler, who we're pointing at and saying he's a horrible putter and finished 51st in putting this week, take a look at Rory's putting right now. Strokes gain on the PGA Tour. Coming into this week, it was 168 strokes game putting. Now, I haven't looked this morning after we've recalibrated after the AT&T, but my guess it is somewhere still in that neighborhood of 167. The other thing that he was, uh, that is shockingly bad for Rory McIlroy, this is a 7,400-yard par 70 golf course. You're going to have to play adult-sized par fours, and you're going to have to play adult-sized par fours well. Rory McIlroy is 118th on the PGA Tour right now, scoring average on par fours heading into last week. Again, I haven't looked this morning since leaving Toronto, but it's going to be somewhere in that 118 range. If you can't score on par fours, uh, good luck this week at uh, Oak Hill Country Club because you've got 500-yard par fours and you're going to get them all day. Uh, it is. I think we're in for maybe a tough week for Rory McIlroy. I hope I'm wrong, Adam, because the game's in a better place when Rory's playing well, and we need him playing well. But I think there's a, a, a huge drop-off right now from Rom Scheffler and then Rory. I think that the, the, whoever you believe is first and second, the drop-off from second to third, I think is mon monumental right now. 
And you mentioned those putting numbers for Rory. He is 172nd now in strokes gained putting on the PGA Tour. So dropped a couple spots uh, lower than that. Now, of course, when we think PGA Championship, we think of players looking to complete the career Grand Slam, and that's where Jordan Spieth enters the mix in this conversation. Now, our thoughts on Spieth totally changed after he put out a statement last Monday evening how he had to pull out of the Byron Nelson with severe left wrist pain. Didn't play last week. There were images of him at Oak Hill from Sunday wearing some sort of, call it a brace or a sleeve on his left wrist. I don't think it was a cast, but it was pretty hard to tell. Given what you heard from Andrew Green in that interview that we're actually going to hear in our next segment, Mark, uh, where we know how thick the rough is going to be, given how a wrist is certainly arguably the most important thing you have in your golf swing, is Spieth, do you, what are the chances you think Spieth even tees it this week? Well, he's currently not scheduled to speak to media, correct, Adam? Correct. See, that. I mean, so he's not scheduled for a press conference. The brace I, we, we, is the left hand, which is that left bowed wrist at the top, the one that takes all that pressure after the swing changes, where he's really got it laid off and bowed at the top, trying to eliminate the left side of the golf course and just aim left and swing with that big over-the-top cut. The swing changes he made a few years ago to, to, to try to correct the two-way miss. I mean, there's a lot of signs here pointing that he's not going to tee it up. And right now, he is leaning towards not playing. And I, I, the only reason I feel like that is because, hey, he's wearing a brace. We know how thick the rough is. He's not scheduled to talk to the media. It's the left wrist that takes all the pressure. I think if he was leaning towards playing, that we'd have a press conference scheduled and we you know, might have seen him on the golf course already actually hitting shots, not just taking a look around. Um, I think he's there in Rochester wearing the brace, taking treatment, giving it rest in the hopes of a miracle that at some point, whether it be Wednesday morning or Thursday morning before his tea time, that he wakes up and miraculously all of a sudden this thing feels better. I think, I think that's where we're at right now with Jordan Spieth, uh, which doesn't sound very promising, does it? No, it really doesn't, and it's it's too bad because other than the Wells Fargo, he was having a really good year, and he was trending in the right direction, and he had that abysmal second round of Wells Fargo, which really looked like came out of nowhere, but we'll see if he does play. Of course, that'll be a major storyline we'll be focusing on if we get news in the next 90 minutes or during our many TV preview shows as well later this week now mark you mentioned andrew green we're going to hear that interview on the other side but before we do give us a little teaser what can we expect from this interview with renowned architect andrew green i just thought it was very interesting because uh when we go through these renovation projects or reimagine projects of bringing the classic golf courses back to the past back to their original designs this time it's Donald Ross at Oak Hill. Over the years, we've seen a lot of these courses you know, really lose their modern-day identity. Oakmont, we didn't recognize when we got there because of tree removal. When, when you guys see Oakland Hills the next time the PGA goes to Oakland Hills, you're going to be shocked at Detroit. You can't even recognize it. 
I think the one thing that I took from this interview with Andrew was, although he wanted to bring the Donald Ross back to Oak Hill, this golf course is still protected by trees. It's still protected by thick rough. There is still going to be a, 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 a huge component put on driving the golf ball straight and putting it in the fairway. They did not remove that skill set. And although it's going to appear from TV that there is a ton of trees removed, which they did, the spirit of Oak Hill and keeping it in the fairway is still very much part of this championship. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it's going to be a great week at the PGA Championship. And, Mark, you're going to be a huge part of it for our coverage here on GTC, TSN, and SportsCenter. Safe drive this morning. Hopefully the border's nice and quick. You get through. You get to Rochester because I know you guys are doing a SportsCenter hit later this afternoon. Mark, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again later this week. Thanks, Kelly. Ciao, brother. That is the Z-Man making his way to Rochester for the PGA Championship, the second men's major of the season. On the other side, Mark just mentioned it, Andrew Green was a big part of the Renault at Oak Hill, going to look very different than the last time we saw the PGA Championship at this course back in 2013 when Jason Duffner went on to win. On the other side, we'll hear Mark's one-on-one with Andrew Green. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Caddy Time, the Uber-like app that allows golfers across Canada to add affordable, qualified caddies to any round. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Visit weathertech.ca. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully here in studio. It is the second men's major of the season this week at Oak Hill, the PGA Championship. Now, Oak Hill will be looking a little different than the last time we saw it back in 2013. Jason Duffner won that week. Sean McKeel won the last time it was held prior to 2013, back in 2003. What an unlikely champion Sean McKeel was. But how about this year? What is Oak Hill going to look like after a renovation? Well, Mark had a chance to catch up with the man behind the renovation, Andrew Green. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to do this with us and our viewers here in Canada. We're excited for the PGA Championship just days away. Before we get into Oak Hill, uh, I'm a fan, familiar with your work. Uh, love what you did at Congressional with the Blue Course. I mean, uh, what a spectacular property that is. Is there pressure involved? Because I look at it as someone who's a fan of golf course architecture. I go, yeah, it's great to get the nod to set up a course or to touch a course or reimagine a course like Oak Hill. But I got to imagine a part of that keeps you up a little at night. <laughs> Great question. Yeah, no, it's uh, some days uh, can be a little tougher than others when it comes to that. I mean, it's, it's an incredible honor. So I always try to treat it that way and treat each course with a, a lot of reverence and respect. And so kind of blending that thought process with you know all the goals that are are part of these kinds of projects and uh, you know Oak Hill of course uh, kind of balances a lot of things. It about it balances this history 
of amazing major championships. And then, you know, you've got Donald Ross's original design concepts and intent. And then you have this idea that the golf course has to stand this test of time for the future. And so not only are we respecting the past and, and all these things that have happened, but we're also aiming for the future. And when you layer all of that stuff together, it does get uh, pretty complicated. And I'd be lying if I didn't say there was an occasional sleepless or restless night uh, in the process. So you, you touched on it there, uh, the Donald Ross Pass. From what I've read, I have not been on property yet. We'll be on property Monday of, of uh, PGA Week. Uh, for the entire week uh, with our uh, Canadian broadcast of the PGA Championship. So we're all excited to see it. We were there the last time it was there. When our listeners or our viewers in Canada hear Donald Ross, they automatically go to Green Complex. But there's more to it than just that. So try to give us the the, the, the layman's version of putting the Donald Ross back into Oak Hill. Absolutely. Well, he did an amazing job. He laid out the, the 36 holes there in a very um, interesting fashion. Uh, it's it's pretty stunning. The piece of property is a very unique shape. It, it uh, is kind of a sprawling um, piece of ground, but it has these nooks and crannies that he was able to utilize in very cool ways. The East Course has basically 1 through 13 on one side of the clubhouse and 14 through 18 on the other. And so respecting his vision for those holes was a big part of what we accomplished. That actually meant uh, putting onto the ground a new fifth hole and a new sixth hole, as well as uh, a new 15th. All three of those holes, we utilized the original sketches from Ross to uh, create an inspired version. And while none of those greens are exactly located where they were in Ross's time, they're all meant to reflect what he wanted as, as part of the journey through the property. So that was a huge part of respecting him. And then the green complex is absolutely very interesting greens, wild shapes. Uh, the aerial shots will be pretty amazing. He had these, these great hand-drawn sketches of greens that certainly were not circles, lots of, of interest to them. Um, and then the bunkers, uh, we try to respect the bunker placement around the green complexes, but then fairway bunkers, we really use some of his original schemes and tried to place them in a manner that would uh, respect and reflect what he wanted the player to face, you know, almost 100 years ago. Would you, I, now I read, uh, obviously there's some tree removal on the property, but was there rough removal as well? Because we're going back to, uh, a bit more of the original Donald Ross inspiration. Was there a rough removal around the greens? In other words, are we going to see some imagination or more imagination around the green complexes than what we were there the last time? Yeah, certainly more than the last time. Um, probably not to the extent of something like Pinehurst. Um, not really part of the DNA of the course. And even in the Ross drawings, we had not a whole lot of... Um, a vision towards that kind of presentation, but we did enhance that uh, part of the golf experience on number two, number four, 14, 16, and 17. Uh, at least those are coming top of mind. And I think those will be interesting in, in depending on how the course is playing, some of those short grass areas will provide uh, interesting imagination and options. And some will actually repel the ball a little bit more like maybe a, 
a traditional mindset from Pinehurst number two, where you miss it just a little bit. The ball wants to get moving off the surface. Um, number 15 will be really interesting. We, we put short grass along the right-hand side of that short par three, and it'll make for a very delicate pitch or chip shot uh, from the right-hand side. So certainly uh, some variety when it comes to that, for sure. Obviously, from a media narrative, we're going a lot on what we saw the last time we were there, what we typically know about uh, most PGA championship setups. Everybody wants to point towards, you know, great overall drivers of the golf ball, depending on what we get from a rough standpoint, et cetera. What aspect of the game do you think is going to come to the surface or maybe surprise some people in this redesign, this reinvention that maybe we're not anticipating? Yeah, I think definitely the tradition at Oak Hill of having to drive the ball well will be important. It'll be interesting to see if there's a balance between length and accuracy. Um, I'm very intrigued by the way tour players now are using analytics to help make decisions. Uh, the players are incredibly smart. They have a lot of information, both from just their, their daily grind to uh, their kind of inherent uh, abilities of when they feel comfortable to go or not go. And so some of these landing zones are very challenging and there'll be a number of places where a player will have to make a decision of whether to go ahead and, and hit driver or look at a three wood or a hybrid, something else off the tee. And I, I, you know, one of the big questions rolling around in my head is when does a player make that decision and when in the heat of battle in a major championship, do they go against what the analytics say? and challenge both themselves and the numbers to be successful. You know, coming down the stretch on Sunday, there are going to be a lot of decisions to make, especially on those last, I guess, 14 through 18 um, of how aggressive to play, and maybe even 12 and 13 uh, in the same vein. So that'll be really fun to watch. Just curious. I know sometimes it's like asking what your favorite child is, you know, asking you what your favorite golf course is. But was there a hole? or a decision or something that was you were debating in this process that now you're so excited about and you're glad you went down that route uh, that you can't wait to, to unveil to the world next week? Yeah, that's a interesting question. Uh, I know these road, these road, these crossroads happen once the shovel goes in the ground, right? Cause it's a living, breathing thing. And I'm just curious if there was a, you know, should we put that bunker there? Do we need that T deck is the line, right? I have these conversations often with some of you know, my colleagues on the golf desk golf digest panel. And, and they love this question to guys like yourself. Yeah, I think uh, there's two that come to mind. Uh, the first is a new back tee on the 13th hole. I think depending on the temperatures, whether that tee is utilized all four days or not, will make Allen's Creek either more or less of a challenge to potentially attack that par five. And we had some discussions about its placement and leaving the existing rear tee and kind of the dynamic that that creates. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how Kerry Haig uh, with the PGA utilizes those two options. And then the go, no go around the green on 14 uh, drivable par four will be really exciting. I think we'll see uh, some players maybe early in the week taking that challenge on. Uh, there's a lot of trouble, especially long now. And we talked a lot about the short grass around the back of that green where it's actually 
helps get the ball away from that target and really puts a premium on driving the ball well if you're trying to attack it. And so that's something where, you know, we we wanted to make sure that the player was challenged, um, but we're trying to balance what the results were if if they were just trying to knock it up around the green and, and get up and down. So those will be two two interesting places for sure. Andrew, uh, two quick ones. Actually, one big one and one quick one before we let you go. I'll go with the big one first because I love where our game is right now. I think coming out of this pandemic, the growth in the game, the participation, and it's real participation, unlike maybe something we saw 20 years ago with the Tiger boom. Uh, you play an important role in the future of this game. Uh, people like yourself that have to usher in the past of Donald Ross when thinking about the future and keeping the game fun yet challenging whatnot. I don't believe we have a distance problem in the game of golf. I kind of like where the game is. I, you might be able to convince me that maybe we look at the golf ball the way we looked at drivers in the past, where we kind of put a ceiling on it and said, guys, we got to work within these parameters now. I'm not huge on the concept of a rollback. From your expertise dealing with this day in and day out, new properties, renovation properties, do we have a distance problem? Where are you on the rollback? Yeah, interesting. Um, so when it comes to distance, I think there's a lot of things to consider for the best players in the world. I struggle with the idea that they don't have a chance to hit a long club with a lot of meaning. And what I particularly mean about that is, you know, a six iron or more is rarely in that player's hands where it means a lot. Sometimes on par fives, obviously they have that extra long club in their hand but it, it, there's that extra stroke to par that impacts their uh, decision-making and they have kind of that wiggle room to take that risk. What I'm really looking for is to make those players hit shots that you and I hit playing the golf course and that are certainly part of the game. Um, you know, Hogan's one iron comes to mind, right? A long club with a lot of, a lot of meaning. Um, I'd like to see that be a part of major championship golf and, and everyday golf for the best players in the world. And I also know that courses like Oak Hill were out of distance. We've added every, every yard that we possibly can on that property. So those are things that I think are concerning. On the flip side of that, I think the game of golf is in a great spot with the number of people we have playing and I don't want to take anything away from their enjoyment of the game. Um, but you know, there's gotta be a balance there somewhere. And the other thing that I really see is when it comes to practice facilities, clubs are putting so much importance on having 300 or 325 yards for a driving range. And that eats up a ton of space and it's a lot of, room and a lot of sacrifice on a club property for a very small percentage of players. So uh, there's important discussions for sure. Uh, and we got to find a balancing point. Well, that's a great segue to our goodbye because you talked about practice facilities and challenges and new courses. Where are you at? I know you're at a site visit. Can you give us a sneak peek of what's next for you and what we should be watching for, uh, for you in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm at Gray Oaks, actually, in Naples, Florida, right now, standing just left of the 17th green. A uh, full site visit here today. Uh, really cool project in uh, southwestern Florida. 
And then uh, coming up this year, I've got a really cool project at Interlochen in Minnesota, where Bobby Jones won the U.S. Open in 1930. Really looking forward to that. And then this fall, we have East Lake on the Tuesday after the Tour Championship. That will be going under the knife or the bulldozer. So that's exciting. And we're also working at Carson Creek at Oklahoma State, uh, trying to help them with their program and the future of that course uh, this fall as well. So a lot of great stuff coming up. Uh, I can't wait to see it. And we're all looking forward to the PGA Championship and, and what you have in store for us there. We're all super excited. So many great players entering that week, all playing well, it seems, at the same time. So should be a fun week in Rochester. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I know you're getting pulled a million di different directions. Everybody asking you for your time all of a sudden this week. So Canada, appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite, Mark. Awesome stuff there from Mark and Andrew Green. Can't wait to see what this golf course looks like when they tee it Thursday morning. Of course, you can see coverage on TSN at 7 a.m. It all gets underway on Thursday morning. Now, we mentioned Jason Day won for the first time in over 1,800 days yesterday at the Byron Nelson. On the other side, we're going to hear from Jason Day after his victory, and we'll also update you on 20 weeks of TaylorMade. You don't want to miss the prizes for this week because they are incredible. That's all coming up next. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, home to 80 great courses, 60 miles of sandy shores, endless dining and entertainment. Visit PlayGolfMyrtleBeach.com to start planning your golf trip today. Wrapping up hour one right here on Golf Talk Canada, Adam Scully here in studio. Bob Weeks joining us on the other side. He is en route to Rochester for the PGA championship can't wait for the second men's major of the season but jason day got things done in a big way at the byron nelson how about that final round bogey free nine under 62 for his first victory since 2018 what a victory it was what a performance it was and what a year it's been so far for jason day and of course very sentimental too Lost his mother about a year ago, and yesterday, of course, was Mother's Day. Here's Jason Day after the victory at the Byron Nelson. Yeah, I, uh, it was, you know, I was, I was in tears, you know, for, for a little bit there. And to think about, you know, what my mom went through from, you know, 2017 on to her passing last year. And then to know that, like, it was very emotional to go through and... To experience what she was going through. Uh, then I had injuries on top of, you know, all of that going on in my life. And to be honest, I was like very close to, you know, calling it quits. You know, I just, I never told my wife that, but I was like, I was okay with it, just because it was a very stressful part of my life. Um, but she 
Ellie, she never you know, gave up on you know me trying to get back to you know the winner's circle again. She just always was pushing me to try and get better. And yeah, I don't know. It's just it feels strange to be sitting here. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. You know, to to go through what I went through and then to to be able to be a winner again and be in the winner's circle is 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 very pleasing and. I know that there's been a lot of a very hard work behind the scenes that a lot of people haven't seen, and um, but you know that's just part of the competition, part of the journey, and trying to strive to get better. And it's it's nice to be get, nice to be able to get my 13th win. Awesome victory for Jason Day, win number 13 in his PGA Tour career. He's had a great career too. And looking ahead to this week at the PGA Championship, his odds right now to win on FanDuel are plus 2,800 or 28 to 1 for Jay Day, who of course has one career major championship win and happened to come at the PGA Championship back in 2015 at Whistling Straits. And you know, as I mentioned yesterday on SportsCenter last night, you know, Jason Day also finished in the top 10 of the 2013 PGA Championship at Oak Hill. So he's had success at this golf course before, and you have to credit the work he has done with Chris Como, the swing coach, who all Jay Day wanted to do with him was swing pain-free, and he has done that. And he has done that in a big way. Jason Day's short game stats are top-notch, again, inside the top 11 in both strokes game putting and scrambling. So Jason Day getting it done. His first PGA Tour win since 2018. Now, of course, 20 weeks of TaylorMade continues right here on Golf Talk Canada. And since it is a major week, check out these prizes we're giving away this week first place stealth or stealth hd irons your choice second place stealth 2 plus driver third place spider gtx putter that's 20 weeks of tailor made check out our website golftalkcanada.com it's your fantasy pool you pick six players it's free it's easy your chance to win this year we're giving away 40 thousand dollars in product you gotta love that 20 weeks of tailor made right here on golf talk canada coming up on the other side to kick off our two we're going to chat with bob weeks about some of his thoughts heading into the pga championship his memories from oak hill in 2013 and some of the players he's really looking at this week as the PGA Championship week gets underway. We're also going to hear from Dustin Johnson, who won last week on the Live Tour. So he's carrying some momentum in. We'll also hear from Brooks Kepka, Major Brooks. Will Kepka get in the mix for the second consecutive major? We'll hear from Kepka. And we'll also have an all-time winner's weird and what from the PGA Championship with Mark, Bob, and myself. All that and more coming up in hour two. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach, the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to hour one of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit golftalkcanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network.
This is Hour 2 of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Why Picton Mahoney? Visit PictonMahoney.com. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Zacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada, the second hour, the back nine here on GTC. Adam Scully here in studio. Now joining us on the line, he's on his way to Rochester. It is Bob Weeks. Bob, how are you this morning? How's the drive? Producer Jamie Rydell and I are uh, belted in here and ready to roll. And, uh, well, actually, we've been rolling for a little while. So we're uh, getting close. Getting close. Not, not, not to Rochester. Close to the border. Well, we had we had a live traffic report from uh, the Z-Man saying traffic was, and I'm quoting him here, abysmal. Is traffic Uh-oh. still abysmal for you? So far, so good. But uh, we'll see what happens. I know, I know, uh, he knows all the back roads, uh, Mr. Zacchino. So maybe that's what he where he's getting stuck. We'll have to see what happens here. <laughs> well, uh, safe, safe travels uh, for you guys, and send my best to uh, to Jamie as I'm about to send you guys an email after the show for our plans for television this week. It's going to be a busy one for us here across all platforms: Golf Talk Canada, TSN, TSN.ca, <clears throat> and Sports Center. But the big story, Bob, heading into Oak Hill, or one of the big stories, has to be Jordan Spieth. Is he in? Is he out? There's been photos circulating of Spieth at oak hill with a brace or some sort of sleeve i don't think it's a cast but something on his left arm if you were to give a jerry's percentage to take a line from overdrive do you think speed will play this week uh i'd say it's probably around 35 40 percent that he will play i think what he's doing right now if um just this is just a shot in the dark, but I would suggest that if you see him with that sleeve on there, it means obviously he's not 100%. And I think he's trying to see if he's still able to play and to be competitive. But these guys know that one of the things they don't want to do is just take take a spot if they really aren't going to be suitable to play. And you can give it up and, and let another player in, and that's sort of the, the standard move that you do make in these situations. But I know that Jordan Speed, being as hungry as he is, do all he can to try and play so i think right now it's kind of a question uh as to whether or not he thinks he's capable of playing and probably testing it out it's a it's a long hard golf course so he's got to be prepared if he uh if he wants to hit the ball long and hit the ball at a deep rough and all those kind of shots some of which may hurt his wrist even more so we'll see well, and a couple of things that were troubling from that statement that Spieth released last Monday were the term severe in terms of pain in his left wrist, and he'll be evaluating it week to week. So my question to you, Bob, is, you know, this is a he's still fairly young. He's 30. He's going to have many chances at this. Is it even worth it to try? Because we know whether you're a 25 handicap or a plus 10 handicap, your left, your wrist is arguably the most important thing you have in your golf swing. If he damages it even further, the rest of this season could be done. Surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Is it even worth it to try? Yeah, that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit in the last answer, is that he wants to make sure he can play. And only he knows what that feels like, what the pain level's at, whether or not his shot-making is 
consistent enough to to allow him to play. And I honestly don't think that he's going to play unless he really feels he can be, you know, 90 to 95% minimum. There's lots of questions. We know he'd love to play. There's only so many majors you get in a lifetime. But as you said, you don't want to just try and risk playing this one to give up the next 10 or 15 or two or whatever it turns out to be. So hopefully he's got smart people around him, and I'm sure he does, that'll that will guide him in making the proper decision. Well, so Jordan Spieth is a major question mark because of health. Uh, Rory McIlroy, also a big question mark, too, in terms of performance, because in his last three stroke play starts, he has two miscuts and a tie for 47, 172nd in strokes gained putting right now. What are you expecting from Rory this week? Well, that's another good question because we are still waiting to see what his demeanor is going to be like, and hopefully for a major championship and at a place that he knows well as a member, his wife in this area. So there's lots of positive things that will help him um, get through the week, however it may be off the course, maybe more important than on the course from what we know. And I think I think if he's mentally relaxed and pleased and and pumped up for this event then i think that will probably spill into his physical game and sure that putter has not been great but if you look at a lot more of his um his stats and some of the other things that he's got going you know the rest of it is, is still pretty decent so he plays big championships well we know that except for the last uh, the last couple in terms of the play missing the cut of the players and missing the cut of the masters so i think he's kind of hungry and i think it bodes well that he had a good finish at uh quail hollow which is a uh which is a major test so i think uh i think there's some uh some good things sorry missing kind of the uh at the i'm getting myself mixed up with different players he's not You're playing right. all You're that right. well let's put it that way he's not playing all that well so <laughs> lots of lots for him to up for and i think uh i think you know if he took that week off that may help him along the way here and being a little bit more rested and Rory right now has the third shortest odds to win on FanDuel at plus 1,300. We're in conversation with Bob Weeks, who's on his way to Rochester for the PGA Championship. Now, Bob, we worked on an essay uh, together on Phil Mickelson. Now, Phil, of course, didn't defend his title at last year's PGA Championship. He is in the field this week. And he is coming off a tie for second at the Masters last month where absolutely nobody was expecting that except maybe Phil himself. Maybe. What do you think about Phil for uh, for this week, given what we saw on Sunday at Augusta National? I think Phil can still play A-level golf, top-level golf, competitive golf. I don't think he'll have quite the advantage playing here at Oak Hill that he had playing at Augusta National. He knows that golf course. He knows the breaks. He knows where the good spots and the bad spots are on that golf course, perhaps as good as anybody maybe outside of Tiger Woods. I don't think he has that advantage this week, so that's not that's just one sort of mark against him. I think that he is showing that he's been playing pretty well. If you look at the results that he had on Liv, if you look at, uh, at the results of the Masters, obviously, I think that there are some uh, good signs for him. He certainly is confident, which is never really a surprise. I guess he feels pretty confident in his game. Uh, I'm not sure that he will keep up to the guys here, but of course I said that 
couple of years ago when he won the PGA Championship at in his, after turning 50. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how he performs, but I wouldn't put it past him to get at least in contention, but I think it would be a big step for him to win. And about Phil, too, he finished T twenty three here at Oak Hill at the PGA Championship back in two thousand three, and T seventy two at Oak Hill at the two thousand thirteen PGA Championship. And I know the golf course has changed, but just saying, Phil Mickelson has made the cut the last two times here at the PGA Championship, but nowhere near contention. Now, speaking of live players, Dustin Johnson coming off a win uh, last week on live, heading into the PGA Championship, similar to Brooks Kepka. At the Masters, coming off a win, he went to Augusta National, finished tied for second. Now, Dustin Johnson uh, was T48 at the Masters, and so far this season on live, his last five starts, uh, a win, T23, 10th, 7th, and T13. Given, you know, we know how good Dustin Johnson can be when he is on top of his game. Is he now, is DJ closer to your radar now, Bob, given his performance last week and a win is a win is a win? Yeah, for sure. If you're going to go down the stretch and battle Brandon Grace and Cam Smith and beat them in a playoff and play well and get a victory, his, he's been injured for uh, the first part of this season with a bit of a back ailment, which he says now is gone. So that bodes well for him. He's a competitive guy. And again, it's just going to determine on um, a couple things there, but I think getting out of the, getting out to a good, good solid start will be good. I think he is still one of the hungrier guys out there right now of all the players. I'm not just talking Liv, I'm talking anybody. I still think, even though you don't get that impression of him from his demeanor, I still think he would like to win and add majors to his legacy. So, you know, anytime you see Dustin Johnson playing well, it seems to go in, in spurts for stretches. And, and I think right now with, uh, with that win uh, at, the, at the Live Tournament in Tulsa, I think that's a really good sign heading into this week at Oak Hill. And he loves to play difficult courses as well. Remember, he won at Oakmont. And there's not money that get tougher than that. Yeah, you're right about that. And DJ currently has the – he's tied for the sixth shortest odds to win on FanDuel for the PGA Championship at plus 2,400 alongside Xander Shoffley and Justin Thomas. Now, looking at the top of the betting board right now, and, of course, on Wednesday we'll have a full preview from a FanDuel TSN Edge perspective on the PGA Championship. But right now there are two co-favorites, John Rom and Scott. Scotty Scheffler at plus 750. Now, Scheffler is coming off a week, a T5 at the Byron Nelson. But as we spoke at length about, Bob, last week on both television and radio, it's the putter that keeps letting him down. He was 51st in the field last week in strokes gained putting. In your mind, if Scheffler has a somewhat mediocre week on the greens, is there any chance he's not in the mix come Sunday afternoon? Uh, you wouldn't think so. I mean, you know, his, his putting stats are can be, I should say, a little bit misleading in the fact that he hits so many greens. So he has a lot of putts to make, and, and that kind of skews it somewhat. But if you go back to something like the Players' Championship, where he was just putting from everywhere, knocking him in. If you look at where he, what he did in, in terms of clutch putting, if there was a stat for clutch putting, I think he'd be top-ranked, and certainly in bigger events, the... Uh, Phoenix event where he was putting on on 16 to sort of hold off the charge from Nick Taylor. I think that was another good performance. So if he gets 
that kind of putting where the numbers might not say he's, you know, first in strokes gained putting, but he's making these clutch putts at the right times and making them from, from some distances, not just talking about tap-ins here, then I think he's going to be tough to beat. But you could say the same thing about John Rahm. Uh, I guess if you wanted to put put him up on the on the mantle as well, I mean those two guys when they're on they they have very few flaws and and I'm sure they'll do everything they can to make sure that they're on for this week. In conversation here with Bob Weeks previewing the PGA Championship and of course six Canadians in the field this week: Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, Nick Taylor, Adam Svensson, Adam Hadwin, Taylor Pendrith. Now all these players have had varying degrees of success throughout this season on the PGA Tour. Perhaps Pendrith has uh, struggled the most, but a couple of uh, good finishes. Of the six Canucks, Bob, who are you looking at as the guy who you think can pull ahead and has the best chance to get in the mix come Sunday afternoon? Well, we saw some good play from Mackenzie Hughes last week, which I I think was good. He's, you know, he's one of those hot and cold players. He puts together streaks of you know two three or four missed cuts and then comes back and, and plays very well and he, he looked like he was starting to do that it's it tied for second at one point halfway through the uh, the tournament so i think if he can he's got the distance now to compete with, with the, on these big golf courses i think uh if the putter is very good like he normally is then i think he's got a good chance um i talked to Corey connors last week and he said that he's happy with where he is he says that it's iron play, which has been sort of cold throughout the season, uh, the start of the season is back. Now he feels comfortable with that, and I think he's comfortable with basically all parts of his game. And I think he's another guy who hasn't performed well in the big tournament so far this year, and he'd really like to make sure that that doesn't happen again for, uh, I guess, a second if you count the Masters, or a second and a third if you count players and Masters. So he's one of those guys who I think is very determined and very focused while at the same time being the, the typical Corey Connors relaxed. So I would, I would look at one of those two. Uh, but as we say on this show a lot, any of those six guys has a good chance. Which is just an awesome thing to say, too, that we have six Canadians in the field, and if any of them play well, they're going to be in the mix uh, for the PGA Championship for any tournament that they're playing well. And, you know, t- don't count out Taylor Pendrith here. You know, I know he doesn't have a win in his PGA Tour career. I know he hasn't had his best stuff throughout the majority of this season, not like the stretch he had last summer to make that International President's Cup side. But I'm looking at strokes gained off the tee this week, and P- Pendrith is uh, is up there too. So some good stats uh, there. I mentioned the International President's Cup team and a player who wasn't on that side uh, back at Quail Hollow in October was Jason Day and now Jason Day has had a renaissance comeback season seven top tens and the victory yesterday at the Byron Nelson Bob this is one of the great guys on the PGA Tour and clearly he's had to battle through a lot both on and off the golf course to get back in the winner's circle what did you make of his performance at the Byron Nelson well I thought it was wonderful and, and full credit to Mark and you for you guys have both been picking him consistently on uh, on some of our edge picks um thankfully for my lead in the race it wasn't last week but i know you can you can see you could see all all really all season how well he's been playing and and just now finally putting four of those magical rounds together like he did was amazing i think that he's got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of experience that he draws on obviously but i think he's got a lot of fortitude and and the comeback after you know, dealing with his mother's passing and then his back injuries and the vertigo 
and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just a great, wonderful story, and I'm sure that he might be the happiest person about that win, but the second happiest has got to be Mike Weir watching him from the, the President's Cup captaincy chair and seeing, because that's a guy who they could really use in a, in a President's Cup if he can play really well. Uh, he's got so much experience. He's, he's a great guy. Everyone loves him in the team room, and I think he's got a lot of... Uh, a lot of oomph there to get these guys, give them a little kick in the rear end, and say, "Let's get off the, uh, let's get off uh, this this losing streak and put something together." So, um, great to see Jason Day back and winning and, and continuing to play some good golf. And Jason Day, you know, played with Graham Dillette at the 2013 Presidents Cup. We know how well they partnered together in that event. How awesome would it be to see J Day partner with another Canadian at Royal Montreal in 2024? And for Jason Day, he began the season 164th in the official World Golf ranking, and now he is 20th. What a comeback season it has been for Jason Day. Now, Bob, before we let you go. Uh, hard-hitting journalism here for you. You and Graham Dillette uh, had an egg salad sandwich eating contest at the Masters, which uh, congratulations, you won. Hopefully you're feeling better after having 94 of those in seven days. I don't know how you did that. Have you done much research into some sort of local cuisine in the Rochester area that you and GD are going to take down and go toe-to-toe at? No, we haven't yet. You know, that's that's sort of uh, I'm lacking. I guess I'm hoping Graham is flying in today, so maybe he's got some experience with that. The, um, you know, the one thing that they do have in this place, which Corey Connors told me about, is that they have a bowling alley in the basement. So maybe it's maybe it's we go uh, ten pin bowling and uh, and uh, have a little strike spares and misses competition this week. Okay, well, <laughs> I did not expect you to go there. If you do do that, please. <laughs> Please take video. Please go live on Instagram. Please do something so the world can see that. And we'll have a full breakdown at some point to talk about your form and who came out on top. Weeksy, thanks for your time this morning. Safe drive. Hopefully the border is nice and smooth. I know producer extraordinaire Jamie Rydell definitely has shorts on. Hopefully he doesn't freeze. Uh, Safe travels, and we'll see you later today on SportsCenter. Sounds great. Thanks, Adam. That's Bob Weeks, uh, Bob and bowling. I didn't see that coming up today on the show, but hey, here we are. Coming up on the other side, Dustin Johnson back in the winner's circle, his second victory on the Live Series. Of course, he won last season. What does DJ have now for the PGA Championship? And how about Brooks Kepka coming off a T2 at the Masters? How was Brooks feeling heading into the second men's major of the season? We'll hear from both of those players on the other side. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cobble Beach, Georgian Bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community. Learn more about their award-winning golf course and growing community. Visit CobbleBeach.com today. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Well, looking at the PGA Championship, from a live golf perspective, Dustin Johnson coming in red hot after a victory 
Lev Golf Tulsa in a three-way playoff. He came out on top over Cameron Smith and Brandon Grace. And now DJ heads into the PGA Championship with tons of momentum. So can he carry that over into the PGA this week at Oak Hill? Here's DJ immediately after getting the victory yesterday at Live Golf Tulsa. Yeah, I mean, it was nice. Obviously, you know, after I made seven on 10, which, uh, I mean, just a little bit unlucky. And then, you know, obviously, ran down the path, went in the water, dropped it. It was in mud. I mean, cut and missed a four-footer for double. Like, I mean, everything I could do wrong, I did wrong on the hole. But to fight back and, you know, make a birdie, you know, birdie 18 two times in a row, um, you know, when I had to. Um, obviously, really, really happy with that. And obviously, I'm... I'm really playing well, so I was, it's really good. Got a lot of momentum going into next week. Well, when DJ says he's playing really well in his past, Dustin Johnson has been one of the best players in the world. So we'll see if he can carry that momentum into the PGA Championship this week. And someone who did that the last time we saw a men's major last month at the Masters was Brooks Kepka. Won the week before on live, went into the Masters, held the lead for a lot of that tournament, really until Sunday when they had to play 30 holes during the final round and the third round that day to get it all in. Brooks Kepka, of course, didn't have the Sunday he wanted at the Masters, but we know Brooks Kepka and majors, if he's healthy, this guy quite simply shows up. Here's Brooks Kepka on his mindset heading into the PGA Championship. Honestly, a major. I'm, I'm so focused, and I mean, honestly, the crazier things are, the more the, it slows down for me. The more focused I get, the more um, I guess tunnel vision I have. It's like I don't know. I feel I feel like a lot of great athletes have that same thing. The more chaotic everything's going around, the the slower everything is for me. So, um, look, that's what I live for, man. I live for the majors, and that's where that's where I'm trying to perform. Brooks Kepka right now looking for major number five and is would be his third career Wanamaker trophy. And right now, Kepka tied for the fourth shortest odds to win the PGA championship on FanDuel at plus twenty one hundred. Will we make GTC history this week and pick a live player for our TSN Edge picks? You'll have to wait and see during our Wednesday preview shows both on television and radio on the other side mark and bob will both be back for an all-time pga championship edition of winners weird and what that's coming up next this is golf talk canada this segment of gtc presented by picton mahoney asset management was brought to you by cobble beach georgian bay's extraordinary waterfront golf resort community This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac. Experience Cadillac. Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. Book your tour at cadillac.ca slash live. Welcome back inside Golf Talk Canada. Adam Scully now back alongside Mark Sacchino and Bob Week. So like we do for major championships, we like to take a look back historically 
at some of the great moments, some of the weird moments, some of the strange moments that we've seen at the major championships. We're going to do it now. This is an all-time PGA Championship edition of Winners Weird and What. And this week, Mark, you have the tea. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, guys, my winner is Valhalla Tiger versus Bob May. I mean, this had to be one of the best duels we've ever seen. And it was funny over the years because the PGA Championship often got the bad rap. You know, we over the years, we went to some suspect golf courses. There were some strange venues, some bizarre setups. And often the cream did not rise to the top. And... All of a sudden, we ran into a string of years there where the PGA Championship was giving us some of the best duels we've seen in such a long time. And Tiger versus Bob May was was literally one of the best. And, and then we discovered this history kind of between the two of them, playing junior golf in California and, you know, kind of everybody looking up to Bob May, who was coming up in the junior ranks and obviously much older than Tiger. But, I mean, Bob, it's funny because at the time – the golf world was all waiting for someone to go toe to toe with tiger. And we all thought it was going to be like Phil or Duval or VJ and somebody was going to have that competition. It ends up being a journeyman like Bob may who ends up pushing tiger to the brink. But that to me was the best one-on-one -on -one moment that we saw in years. There's a, there's a great uh, uh, stretch down the end there where they, where Bob may hold a great putt then they went into that playoff and remember the tee shot went off and there was sort of a disappeared there was all these theories that somebody had kicked tiger's ball back in and things like that but you're right it was bob may it was the unheralded guy bob may who took him on and, and that was a bit of a theme in a lot of uh a lot of majors with tiger the guys who took him on weren't necessarily the biggest stars of the day and i have one of those coming up in my uh uh my www three dub and, now, and I, I, I don't know about you boys, but I got to tell you that celebration Tiger had when he walked in the putt and pointed in. I don't know about you guys, but I've tried to emulate that celebration about 9,000 times in my career, and I've never made that putt because I've thought about the celebration first. It is my favorite Tiger point moment in Tiger history, the walk point in. And that was not a kick in. I was like 25, 30 yeah. feet. Pours that in, walks in with a point. Thus, why it's my winner. My weird... This is recent. I mean, think about what's happened to Phil Mickelson in the last almost two years now, I guess. It'll be the two-year anniversary, anniversary of his historic win at the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island. When that putt dropped on the 72nd hole on the Sunday evening, Phil kind of elevated himself to this new position in the world of golf. I mean, not just winning another major, but becoming the oldest major champion, the way he did it. I mean, it, people were now people who were on the fence of where he was historically speaking in this game that solidified him. And people are saying this is possibly one of the greatest top 10 players of all time now. And if not just on the outside looking in, when you really break down and go all the way back to Bobby Jones, et cetera. And the people's champion was even more so the people's champion, even more in that Arnold Palmer lane. And then fast forward a year. He's not defending his title. Two years, you know, he's the face of live golf with Greg Norman. And what a fall from grace. 
And I mean, Adam, we've seen this in other sports, obviously OJ Simpson being the largest, that's a whole other thing. And I don't think, you know, sometimes it's fair that we get these athletes. We all treat them the same, like a guy like OJ certainly Phil did nothing like that, but I'm just talking in terms of falling out of favor with their public and just being the guy that seemed to be everywhere he went was celebrated to the guy that was like wearing black and growing a beard. It was bizarre. It really was. And, you know, as we head into the PGA this week, I've been working with Bob on a video essay that's airing on Golf Talk and SportsCenter, looking back at Phil. And when you look back at that 18th hole, it was a couple of things. It was really the return of fans and sports because of COVID. And, you know, he was, Phil was absolutely swarmed by people and all the fans chanting, Phil, 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 Phil. And now what do we have two years later? Who knows what Phil is going to bring performance-wise this week because, you know, he is, as we can almost say, the most interesting man in golf right now. And my what, and I know this will lead into Bob's uh, winner's weird and what as well, so I won't go too deep into my what, but the 99 PGA Championship was significant for a lot of reasons, which Bob will get into. But one of them for me of its significance, it's the world's introduction to Sergio Garcia. And at the time, he was like this beloved amateur kid who was pushing some of the big names in the world of golf, including Tiger Woods and our own Mike Weir. And it came down to the wire there with Sergio, a putt here, a putt there. And I often wonder, guys, I often wonder what the last 24 years would look like if Sergio had a won that PGA. And that domino effect of taking the lid off majors early in your career versus building up scar tissue for the next 15 years or so what direction Sergio would have gone if he had had a couple of putts would Sergio have become a, a darling and a favorite would Sergio have started to rack up majors would Sergio have been the guy that believed that everything was going to fall his way instead of the guy that felt and acted like the universe was against him 99 PGA so significant Bob that's a great segue T is yours so, so what do I do? Just aim for the pond? No, you're not supposed to hit it into the water. But you hit it into the water. I know I hit it into the water. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! Look, it went further than your ball! You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there and uh, just pick up on the 99 PGA, but for a different reason, because uh, for those of us who are old enough to recall, the 54-hole lead was a tie between Tiger Woods and... Mike Weir. And Mike went into the final group and got absolutely blown away, <laughs> not just by Tiger Woods, but by the fans. He ended up shooting 80 and tied for 10th. But the but the big thing about that was that Mike Weir said when he was in there, he had no idea what it was going to be like, the crush of people around. Tiger would, uh, Tiger would putt out first and he would wait for Mike Weir to putt out. He'd be waiting by the little tunnel. And Mike would have a tough time fighting his way to the crowd to get to the next tee. He said he was just absolutely overwhelmed by the crowds, by the atmosphere. But he learned that day that he has a lot of control. And whenever he was in that kind of a position again, you know, he ended up having a police escort. The uh, We think of the 2003 uh, Masters, obviously, but the Canadian Open when he lost in the playoff in 2004 to Vijay Singh, that kind of stuff. And it was a big learning lesson for Mike Weir. So even though he lost the tournament, I put him in there as a winner, and I don't know if you'd agree with that, Mark, but I think that was a learning process for a, a guy like Mike Weir, who was pretty unheralded. He was only in his second year on the PGA Tour at that point. 
I'm with you a thousand percent, Bob. If he doesn't get his butt kicked in 99 in that environment and treat it the right way to your point and say, wow, all the things he takes from this, he probably doesn't win a green jacket and he's probably not prepared to beat Tiger Woods one-on-one at the president's cup either. So, I mean, I'm with you. It's a, it's a win. It's a weird way of looking at it, but I agree with you a thousand percent. My weird this week is the, uh, PGA Championship at Hazel time Hazel team in 2009 and the one thing that stands out about this was going in Tiger Woods again had the 54 hole lead now at that point in his career when he had the 54 hole lead in a major it was basically an automatic everybody else could go home we'll give the trophy to Tiger and add to his major totals however for the first time ever that year unheralded Y.E. Yang broke through and uh, put him away with probably two of, uh, well, in my career, any two of the most memorable shots I can remember. He chipped in for Eagle on the par 4 14th. And then on the final hole, he had to hit a, um, a shot over some trees. I think he hit a hybrid over the trees, knocked it into about six feet, and rolled in the putt. And I can always remember his body language and his, uh, his you know, cheer for winning. I don't know if, if you've ever seen the videos, Scully, because you were probably not even born or whatever. I'm not sure at that point. But but it was it was an absolutely remarkable and stunning upset for this guy. Again, we go back to what you were saying, Mark, sort of fairly unheralded guy, a good player, Y.E. Yang, in his own right, probably a bigger player over in his home in Korea. But but come in and beat Tiger Woods after he had the 54 to lead was just unheard of back then. It certainly was, and I'll never forget that approach shot into the 72nd hole, and he must have pulled that probably a good 30, 40, 50 feet, you know, because it was a tucked left pin location, and then the celebration, too, lifting up his tour bag as if it was the Stanley Cup. That was a pretty cool celebration. Good. You know, it's so (laughs) weird as we talk about this, guys, because it just reminds me of, you know, in Tiger's prime, maybe not so much a little later in his career when Phil figured out how to win majors and whatnot, but for the majority of Tiger's career, it was always guys that were unheralded that pushed him. Billy Mayfair, Y.E. Yang, Bob May, Rocco Mediate. These are not the top 10 players in the world of that generation. These are not Tiger's counterparts, yet to Bob's point, that to me stands out huge as, as like, Bob's right, we used to just... Just ship the trophy on Saturday night, Bob. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, speaking of guys who uh, who lost the final, well, how about uh, Greg Norman? The 1986 PGA Championship at Inverness. Greg Norman that year, by the way, that's when the PGA Championship was the fourth of the majors. He held a share, uh, at least a share of the lead after 54 in all four majors. Now, he only ended up winning one, which was the British Open, but he got beat in a special way by Bob Tway. Those two guys came down the stretch, and Tway, uh, in a playoff, Tway holed out from a greenside bunker. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, I'm sure everybody who follows golf has seen it. Bob Tway jumping up and down in the bunker. It was incredible. And then the pan over to Greg Norman, who just looks like, man, someone had just kicked me right in the nether regions again. And, you know, back back in the day, it was sort of hard luck, Greg Norman. These days, uh, man, it was just like, you look back at that and you think, how could a guy get into those situations all those times and never be able to close. But it, it ended up happening, and it was a great win for Bob May. I don't know, the Mark, if you remember the jumping up and down stuff, but it was it was spectacular. I remember, I remember watching it. I, I was 11, and I remember watching it. He ended up winning one major that year after having the Saturday Slam. The only one he pulled out was his first Open Championship, right? He lost exactly. to Jack. He lost to Jack at uh, the Masters. 
And I'm trying to think of who won the 86 U.S. Open. That one's a bit of a blur for me. Hmm. We'll have to get back to that. But I do recall that. And uh, But, man, I hear you, Bob. That That's when we used to feel bad for Greg. Yeah, right. Exactly right. Raymond Floyd, by the way, who won the 86 U.S. Open. So There, there you, go. you go. Thank you. Let's put it back over to uh, you, Mr. Scully, to bring things home. 348. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, that is sweet. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Okay, my winner this week. It's great. Sometimes in the in the world of golf, we see some really unlikely stories that really come out of nowhere. And that's where we go to 1991. Yes, to your earlier point, boys, I was not born then, but I've seen the footage many <laughs> times. John Daly, ninth alternate, taking golf by storm, playing it in a totally different way, not only with the swing, the moulet, the bad mustache, and he went on to win in the most unlikeliest of fashions. Bob, what are your some of your memories from that week? Well, one of the things was he got in when um, Nick Price pulled out and he used Nick Price's caddy, Jeff Squeaky Medlin, who unfortunately passed away not, not too long after that. I remember that. And that was, I remember Squeaky talking afterwards saying, man, that was like I had to adjust my yardages and try to figure out because this guy hit the ball so far. Nobody could understand. And I remember after he won, people were saying, this is going to be how everybody's going to swing from now on. We're all going to swing back with a backswing that goes back to our ankles and comes through again. But uh, <laughs> it was just absolutely stunning because you kept waiting for this guy to, to crash and go off the rails, but he never did. He never did. And he won the Open Championship a couple years later, too. It's certainly been a bizarre career for John Daly, but that victory, of course, Stands out. Speaking of bizarre, let's go to my weird this week. 2010, Dustin Johnson has the lead at Whistling Straits, hits his tee shot absolutely miles right, and he hits an approach shot from what looked to be kind of a sandy lie, but uh, obviously it ended up being a bunker, and Dustin Johnson was given or docked a two-shot penalty after he was finished play at the PGA Championship that year. And he had a putt that he thought would have been to win the tournament. And what I always look back and think is, thank goodness that putt didn't go in. Because imagine, you know, celebrating as if the huge monkey is off your back. Uh, he had that collapse at the U.S. Open earlier that year, too. For Dustin Johnson, that was just a very strange moment. And the most heartbreaking thing, of course, was that close-up shot that CBS got that year of him using the eraser and erasing out the five and making it a seven on the scorecard. Mark, what do you look back and think about that one? I just remember that, you know, I remember feeling bad for him. And I remember thinking that they got it wrong all week, that they should have treated them like, like waste areas. Yeah. But that being said, I remember... They had it posted all week everywhere you went on the golf course, clubhouse. Everywhere. The players were notified 900 times that the, the waste areas will be treated like bunkers. Do not ground your club. DJ forgot to read. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. And finally, my what? 2014. The last time Rory McIlroy won a major championship, of course, this week he's looking for that first major since then. Hard to believe. Anyway, 2014, they had to tee off that final round. It was Rory and Bernd Thiesberger. They teed off at 4.45 p.m. because of all of the, the rain, the delays, and they were trying to get it in. They were trying to finish the final round, and in the group ahead, it was Phil Mickelson and Ricky Fowler. Now, 
this was a, just a strange situation. This could have been my weird as well, because it was clearly getting pretty dark. It was getting very stormy, too. We almost saw some lightning in the, the distance. But they basically played up that 72nd hole as a foursome. And afterwards, Phil certainly was not very happy about that. Rory basically tapped in in the dark. Jim Nance had that great call, a shining star at sunset. Bob, were you there that year in 2014? What do you recall from that? Uh, I was there, and uh, it was long past sunset when he tapped in. And the, the way the clubhouse sat behind the 18th green, there were a lot of big televisions uh, there, and that was really the light that was being projected onto the 18th green for Rory to tap in. You know, when you see it on television, it always looks lighter than it really is out there, and, and basically it was in the dark. And I remember them hitting up uh, Ricky Fowler, waving them up to tell them to hit up, and Phil was kind of mad at Ricky for for doing that. Uh, but I do remember that, and uh, and it was a fitting way to end, even if it was in the dark. I think the everybody, everybody, especially myself and cameraman Dean Willers, wanted to uh, finish up that night. And I'll never forget too, because Rory's tee shot was about four yards away from going in a penalty area. He was it was below his feet too. But anyway, Rory McIlroy gets a ton. Looking forward to seeing what Rory McIlroy has this week at the PGA Championship, because this year has certainly been bizarre. On the other side, we'll tee up where you can see us throughout the week at the PGA Championship and preview what's to come on Wednesday on both TV and radio. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Cadillac. Cadillac. Experience Cadillac. Join one of our agents for a personalized virtual live tour of Cadillac SUVs, sedans, and EVs. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the ZG23. ZG23 continues to push limits on lightweight performance footwear with introduction of Lightstrike and Lightstrike Pro technology. They're light. They perform. They're here to compete. Visit adidas.ca slash golf. Wrapping up this morning's show with some leaderboard updates. Leaderboard updates brought to you by Bushnell Golf, the number one range finder in the world of golf. Check out bushnellgolf.com for much more on the LPGA Tour. Jin Young Ko gets it done again. Cognizant Founders Cup. She wins in a playoff over Min Ji Lee on PGA Tour Champions. Steve Stricker, a six-shot victory at the region's traditions over Ernie Els and Robert Carlson. What a performance it was by Steve Stricker. Of course, on the PGA Tour, Jason Day, back in the winner's circle for the first time since 2018. He is a winner again on the PGA Tour. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes, top Canuck, a T-14 finish. Well, this has been our first PGA Championship preview show of the week. Stay tuned to our social media channels because our TV special is going to air at a special time. Stay tuned for that on social media. Of course, right here on TSN 1050, we will be back 10 a.m. Wednesday to look ahead to the PGA Championship. Coming up next here on TSN 1050, where will the Maple Leafs go next? On the other side, we have Leafs Lunch. We're going to hear from many of the players as they look back on the season that was. What went wrong 
and what could be next here in the Leafland. And later today, too, we will carry Kyle Dubas speaking to the media live. Well, this has been a fun edition of Golf Talk Canada. Some golf talk, some Leafs talk. We got a bunch of talk going on here. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And remember, the first good decision for the golf course always starts in the closet. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the ZG23. ZG23 continues to push limits on lightweight performance footwear with introduction of Lightstrike and Lightstrike Pro technology. They're light. They perform. They're here to compete. Visit adidas.ca slash golf. Thank you for listening to GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television weekly on the TSN Television Network.